Welcome to Nothing Ventured, a podcast exploring the stories that make the incredible world of tech and venture tick. Join me, Arish Shah, as I speak to the founders, investors, and ecosystem operators trying to make a dent in the future. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nothing Ventured with me, Arish Shah. Today, I am super excited to have with me Priya Oberoi. Priya is founding general partner of Goddess Gaia Ventures, a pre-Series A fund focused on ventures innovating in women's health and wellness. A lawyer by training, Priya is also managing partner of Oberoi Capital Partners and a prolific angel. Welcome to the show, uh, Priya. It's really great to have you with me. Yeah, lovely to see you again, Arish. Amazing. So look, let's jump straight in, Um, you know, from lawyer to funding matchmaker to venture capital. Can you talk us through the journey and what were the trigger points that drove you from one phase to the next? Yeah, sure. So so I I started off life as a lawyer. Um, I read law at Oxford. I basically followed the path my parents set out for me. Um, I really enjoyed being a lawyer, I'll be honest. Um, I worked in lots of different countries, uh, was in derivatives and finance. But then I got cancer. And I think that was a really big trigger point for me because I was going up for my partnership um, in the law firm. And at the same time, I got the diagnosis. And it just really, it just makes you reassess everything in your life. You know, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. um, I was working 90 hours a week. I didn't really like all the people around me. I thought, bloody hell, this is going to be my life going forward. And then someone says, oh, by the way, you need an operation in the next 48 hours. It's really crucial that you, you know, give your health 101 you know, percent priority. And then all of a sudden, like everything changes. Um, So yeah, that was the trigger from, you know, me leaving the corporate world to go and do something else. I took a little time off to get better, obviously needed treatment and things like that. Um, And then I just thought, look, what do I want to do? I'm fancy free and footloose. I love traveling. I love talking to people. Um, I had loads of clients in the Middle East. I got on really well with them. And I thought, hey, I could go raise capital in the Middle East. And I did try and find a job. Nobody wanted to hire me. So I thought, sod it, I'll start my own business. And it did take a while. Um, It was a good 18 months before anything really significant happened. But then, you know, like anything, you start uh, building a team, you start building relationships, you get clients, things start happening. But yeah, being an entrepreneur from a lawyer was really hard because, you know, it's a different mindset, totally. You've got to do everything from, you know, the payroll to the bloody like the taxes, you know, organizing everything. You had a secretary before and it's like, what do I do? How do I do this? Right. <laughs> and you are everything to everyone. Um, but I really enjoyed it. Um, in the 10 years that I was, you know, sort of 100 percent, you know, CP, I um, I had my son. Um, I got married. It was a great way to meet lots of amazing people and did some really cool deals as well. And then um, when COVID hit, it was just really not possible to get on a plane every two weeks. You know, that's that was the major, major driver. And, you know, we had a couple of deals in credit committee at the time as well. And it was we had to act so fast, you know, like everything changed overnight. So it took most of 2020 to sort of like deconstruct what we were doing, you know, because it all came as a surprise to everyone, I think. Um, And then I just sort of sat down and thought, look, what do I want to do now? Um, You know, maybe take this as an opportunity to sit down and think really hard about 
what I where I want to go and because I've had the cancer and I actually have an autoimmune disease as well and I had a really horrible fertility journey and thankfully we have our son now um I thought well I can't be the only woman in the world who has these problems um so that's how the thesis started coming about like "Hmm, maybe you can invest in women's health and I mean doing that for a while anyway as an angel uh maybe that I could build a fund out of this and and really it was a thought from a blank piece of paper that has turned to what it is now 18 months later. Amazing. There's there's a few things that are really worth unpacking there. So you're the first lawyer turned operator turned uh, VC that we've had uh, on the podcast who, who has actually said they enjoyed being a lawyer. Uh, <laughs> almost everyone. Uh, I think actually that, that may be a lie. I think Chris Smith from Playfair uh, said he quite enjoyed being a lawyer as well, but yeah, it, it tends to. It seems to be quite a uh, uh, quite a standard pathway um, intervention is via via the legal profession. Uh, obviously, you had like some massive challenges with your health, and and thank you so much for being so transparent about you know some of the struggles that you've been through. Um, and and we're going to talk about the thesis at at uh, Goddess Sky in in a bit. Wh- one of the things that I think was really interesting again was you and I actually first met during COVID. So we met, um, yeah. I think, uh, as as uh, uh, kind of coincidentally as uh, everything was kicking off, and we were trying to organize ourselves to create a, a commingled fund between the government and private sector to deal with you know a lot of these sectors like health, wellness, education, etc., which we felt were probably going to get a short shrift uh, during the pandemic, um, certainly from, from from venture. So it's incredible to see, you know, two years on that that you are still, uh, you know, paving the way and 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 building that up. I think that's really, I think that's really incredible. But setting up a first time fund in the UK is a really nebulous process, right? How have you found navigating that, and what have been the biggest challenges? Well, I think you have to be slightly crazy to set up a fund, first and foremost. So I'm not sure what that says about me. Um, You really need to have tenacity and you have to really want it because it's probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. I mean, I know a lot of family officers, institutional investors, pension funds. I mean, I have a whole Rolodex of it. I made a business out of it for the last more than 10 years. But my God, is it hard work. And it really takes the life out of you. It's soul destroying. But (laughs) that said, I think along the way for all the bad things that happen, all the good things are that you meet people who believe in the same thesis as you and who start, you know, helping you, introducing you to other people, increasing your networks, saying that, you know, they could put maybe one in or five in. You know, it, it changes, right, whoever you're talking to. But, yeah, the process is not linear that's the problem right you're up and down up and down the whole time and there's a lot of brand building I think you need to do around a fund so it's not like hey I'm a great investor I've just spun out of KKR and I go and set up a fund I don't think that really works anymore I think what happens is that you need a thesis but you also need a brand you you know we do a lot of lobbying with the government as well for women's health Uh, I think this is the fourth time I've now been to Downing Street Uh, we're setting up a conference in a couple of weeks on women's health and femtech with the Scottish government there are many things you have to do along with hey this is my thesis this is what I want to invest in and this is why I think this is a great pipeline of deals so that's also hard and remember you're not earning any money while you're doing it so that 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 along with everything else 
that's pretty tough, right? And I don't know if it's easier anywhere else, but yeah, you you know, before you one goes down that route, I think you need to have some money saved up, number one, and you got to have a supportive family and partner who are going to say, okay, it's a good idea to go down that route, basically. And you've got to want it. You've just got to really want to do it. Because I think, you know, I probably give up at least once a week. <laughs> like, I don't want to do this anymore. But then, you know, something happens and it says, right, I'm going to go back onto it. But it, it is it is it is tough. It really is. So, I mean, talking about the process for a second, right? Because, I mean, I, I had a conversation uh, recently with uh, Samira Ann Kasim from Pink Salt Ventures, uh, who uh, have, have just raised their first fund. And, you know, she, she talked uh, a little bit about how difficult it was to get started to, and to understand kind of, you know, what to do when and how and, and, and so on. I mean, what guidance would you give anyone that's setting up a first time fund? I mean, obviously, yes, you know, you need to have the network. I think you absolutely need to have the supportive, um, you know, uh, support network around you as well. Um, and uh, obviously, as you said, increasingly brand and presence is just as important as as access to capital in fact probably more so because it's all about you know ensuring that you can get the deal flow through but i mean in terms of concrete kind of if i were looking to set up a fund today what would be the first things that you would recommend that i do i i think if you can get an an anchor investor in quite early on a smaller fund it's probably a good idea um you know it's really important to have that first check-in um you know, I, I love all these, you know, sort of smaller funds out there because actually that is a great way to do it. You know, you could start with a smaller fund and, you know, fund two is bigger, you know, broader than fund three, fund four. But, you know, for our thesis, we needed a bigger fund size because we're going in at pre-series A. It's just the check sizes are bigger, basically, because that's where we see the funding gap. But, yeah, if I was going to say to someone now, you know, what do you need to do? I would say have an anchor investor or a family office who can help you for a start. Um, also, you know, maybe do some investing via SBVs and also your angel investing. So you know the processes. That's really important. You know, unless you're a spin out from KKR, I mean, you are really starting from zero uh, and that's a hard slog. So you need LPs who trust in your investment processes and, in, and trust that when they give you their money, you're not going to screw it up, basically, right? So that trust is really important. That's why I think those networks that you build up over 10, 15 years, 20 years of working are super important because you're not starting from zero then. You're going to people who already know you, you've worked with before, have seen you in, in operation, and now you've just sidelined a little bit and saying, look, I, I need you to help me out on this. And this is what I want to do. What do you think? And get their feedback, basically. And I think that circle of trust is super important, really is. Um, but yeah, if you can get a family office or, or you know, someone to cornerstone you, you know, for even a smaller check size, that's a brilliant way to start a fund. Yeah, I, I think I think that that probably tells me everything I need to know, right? In the sense that, you know, for me, 
coming from the background that I come from, I, my, my first thought was, okay, how do I set up my legal? How do I set up my operations? How do I set up, you know, the, the sort of the structure and the shell of the fund as opposed to, you know, a- actually thinking about where do you, you know, where do you get that first dose of capital from and then start deploying? I mean, obviously, I, I, I mean, <laughs> let, let's be very clear. I know that that is probably the right, th- the right way around of it. Um, but I'm sort of the, the sort of person that likes, and I'm sure you, you are as well to an extent coming from legal background, the sort of person that likes to know the steps that, that, that it takes. But I think, as you say, without that first chunk of capital, without that cornerstone, you, you don't have a fund effectively, right? You, you, you may have a thesis, you may have an idea, but you don't have um, anything to actually get going with. So you could end up spending a lot of time and energy trying to set up the mechanics and the, and the shell of the fund without actually <laughs> having any capital to deploy, which, which would be a shame to say the least. Um, so, 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 so talking through uh, Goddess Gaia's thesis, right? The, the thesis is investing in female founders and female health and wellness startups. Can you talk us through the rationale for this? Obviously, you touched on it earlier. I think it'd be really interesting to also understand why pre-Series A uh, as opposed to maybe earlier at pre-Seed or Seed. So why have you gone after that market? What do you think the opportunity is? And, and I guess, you know, why invest at that stage? Yeah, so I, I sort of look at us as a bit like uh, the UK version of uh, um, Steel Sky Ventures, basically, in the US. So we're investing across women's healthcare. So, you know, that could be therapeutics, it can be e-pharmacy, it can be, you know, uh, precision medicine. But, you know, it's not biotech and it's not, you know, um, um, longevity or things like that. But you know, it's across the spectrum. But for us, I mean, when we sort of looked into the market, I think there are more and more angel groups coming up. There's the EIS, SEIS process as well, which is, you know, encouraging more people to invest. But I'm not going to debate whether it's men or women, but, you know, they, we are getting more people into that scope. There are a lot of very good seed funds out there. But if we think about women's health, what is it? What do they need? The problem is to raise a Series A round, you need to meet certain metrics. Simple as that. It's just, it's pretty standard what you need to be, basically. The problem with women's health is you need longer runways between seed and Series A because you've got to do MVPs and pilots. Now, if those mess up, basically people die, right? So you can't go raising every 18 months like fintech. It's just not going to happen. Also, there's uh, regulation attached to some of some things in women's healthcare, like, you know, therapeutics. That takes time. So that 18-month window doesn't work. So you actually need another additional round, we think, between seed and series A. So for a normal company, let's say a fintech, you know, there is, I think I was reading the other day, there's only an 18% chance to get from seed to series A anyway, Right. Then look at women's health, which is all these other issues like MVP longer, longer runways, pilots longer, you know, uh, regulation. Of course, you need an additional round. So that's why we think, well, why don't we create that additional round? And it's a price round. It's not a bridging round. That's really important. Go in between the seed and series A, get these companies fit for purpose for series A and then help them scale to the US. So for us, it's a really we're really clear about what we want to do. Um, and yeah, it's a slightly bigger check size, you know, um, you know, you, we're putting in roughly 2.5 mil check size, you know, at that stage. But, you know, the opportunity is we're getting them to the Series A. And that's when the Atomicos, the Google Ventures and all the rest of them can really take take them to the next level. And obviously, we'd like to double down as well. But yeah, we, we've been 
Ours is a very much, you know, picking stock exercise. We're picking our winners. It's not spray and pray, right? You know, where it's like we're just taking a punt. We're being very deliberate about what we want to invest in. So for me, things like cancer tech are really interesting. You know, early diagnostics using AI can really create better outcomes for health, for women's health. You know, endometriosis, vulva cancers, you know, why is there not more money going into R&D? We need more technology to help women um, get better outcomes. So, yeah, it's, it's very interesting, you know, what you can do with that money and actually the positive outcome and positive impact you can create. Yeah, so I think just, you know, Dissecting that a little bit, I, I think I would ab- absolutely agree with you that there is this sort of funding gap between seed and series A often, uh, where companies haven't quite met the metrics that they need to get series A, and therefore they need that little boost. And I, and I can quite appreciate why, um, you know, if you're funding something within, you know, femtech, that that may actually require uh, uh, more runway for, for you know, for, for a longer period uh, in order to get over those humps of regulatory approvals or, you know, longer pilots or, or, or whatever, whatever those may be. So I think I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and, and clearly, I, I'm always going to be someone that says the more money going into anything that is driving better outcomes in health and wellness, irrespective of its men or women, but, you know, certainly f- for women, is always going to be, you know, something that I think is worth uh, spending time and effort on. Uh, not only that, not only because of that, but I think it has an outsized impact because we know that, you know, in lesser developed countries, you know, whether that's sub-Saharan Africa, whether that's parts of Southeast Asia or parts of LATAM, it, it is the women that tend to have, you know, worse health outcomes uh, or are, you know, burdened with, uh, um, you know, bigger issues in terms of access to education, access to uh, um, uh, to medicine, access to hospitals and doctors and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and therefore, I think, you know, if, if you can drive innovation in that field, hopefully you get a bit of a, a, you know, not I hate to use the phrase, but a trickle down effect, but certainly, you know, uh, get proliferation through um, through to other areas where where it can add benefit. Um, and, and so then talk me through how you assess a business, right? What is the most important thing when you're assessing a company? Is it the team? Is it the tech? Is it the traction? Or is it something else altogether? I think lots of things. I mean, I think, you know, at the stage we're playing at, you know, number one, it's it's always going to be the team. It has to be, right? So you need to know that the person you're investing in is going to do what they say they're going to do, right? That is really important. And, you know, the gumption, they need tenacity. You know, I was reading a quote by Kleiner Perkins the other day where he said their first investment got them, I think, 42x. And he said, I want to invest in people who cannot afford to fail. And you know what? That's what I like. I want to invest in people like that. And it so happens that women's health, most of the founders happen to be women right? It's amazing, right? So at the same time, as well as investing in women's health, we're increasing the amount of money going to women, female founders, and also we're increasing the number of uh, the amount of money going to ethnic minorities because it's amazing how many women of color we have been speaking to and I'm thinking god where were you like when I was looking at other stuff you know it's unbelievable and it's such a joy so yeah the team is number one you know for us it and I think it always will be and 
I think the second thing is like, can they meet those Series A metrics? Do they have a business case that's going to get them that revenue? Is going to get them that, you know, AR? Are they going to be able to get to that stage? And the money we put into them, is that a good investment? You know, is that what we're trying to do? Because ultimately your LPs are a bit like your shareholders, aren't they? Right. You've, you've got to be able to return their money. So can I return their money and what I'm investing in? Um, that's a real consideration for us. But then there's, of course, there's all the other stuff, defensible tech, you know, is there a big enough TAM, et cetera, et cetera. And, and in women's health, it's a $12 trillion market healthcare. Femtech is $1 trillion. So a hundred million fund is kind of like tiptoeing into the market. It's quite small, really. Um, but then everyone tells you, oh my God, it's such a big fund. It's like, well, it's not really, you know, we're investing at pre-series A, it's a decent sized check. We need to get them to series A and then we've got to double down. So it makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think team first, uh, you know, is, uh, is definitely like very important to us. And then secondly, can they get to those series A metrics? Thirdly, is it defensible tech? And, you know, can they really, you know, are they stand out? And, you know, maybe fourth as well, you know, as important is, do they want to be global winners? Because not every company out there wants to be a unicorn, right? Yeah, and there's no shame in that, right? Uh, you know, but venture is about getting the returns. So I think the question... Yeah, is, I, think, I, I think that... Founder, get those returns. I mean, are they really building that sort of company? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a big challenge and a big question that a lot of founders have to ask. I think also to your point around a hundred million fund, it sounds, it sounds, uh, you know, it sounds obviously a lot higher and a lot larger than a, a five million fund, let's say. But the difference is, of course, you're writing two and a half million checks, uh, two and a half million pound checks rather in, into these businesses, which suggests you're going to have some sort of portfolio construction around, you know, 30 deals uh, with some follow on. Right. Which is similar to a five million fund uh, writing 50,000 checks at the very early pre-seed stages. Right. So it's just about it's it's just about how, you know, what, what your ownership percentage is going to be and how, you know, how much you can um, uh, uh, how, how much you can invest invest and follow on uh, across you know a, a decent range of of companies so uh, the other thing that, that i think is <laughs> sorry so you say again. get that so you get that like so the way you've explained it you get it right but you would be amazed at how many times we've been told oh are you building a hundred million fund it's like yes we are <laughs> like virtually um, it's like, you know, I don't know what was it the other day I was reading, like, was it Tigers coming in with a, a billion pre-series A fund? It's like, why can we not build a hundred million fund? Why? What, what is it? You know, and it's, it's so interesting. I'm sure you picked that up with Samira and some of the other women you've, um, you've interviewed. It's like some of the questions sometimes women get asked in these conversations. I'm just shocked because I've been on the other side of the table raising money for PE and I'm thinking, hello, you never asked that question. Where is that coming from? But yeah, it's great that you get it. But sometimes we have to explain it a hundred times, basically. Yeah, I, I, I think and I think I've said this a number of times, maybe not on the podcast uh, explicitly, but certainly online in various rants, um, the, the, the problem with funding, whether we, whether you're talking about uh, uh, female founders or whether you're talking about 
you know, people of diverse ethnicity, or you're talking about LGBTQ, or you're talking about neurodiverse or anything else, is it starts at the top. It starts with the LPs, right? If you have that demographic of LPs funding that demographic of GPs, you're going to have that demographic of GPs funding that demographic of founders who will be hiring, hopefully, people from a diverse range of, of backgrounds. And then that just sort of, you know, rotates itself. And I think until we get to that place where you have enough of, uh, enough of that cycle happening, whereby you shift you know, the the center of gravity of that LP funding away from where it has traditionally been, been it's always going to be difficult. And of course, you're absolutely going to get those those questions, which, as you say, if you'd been, you know, potentially a, 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 a male and even more so a white male, um, you know, you, you, you would have been uh, quite likely to have escaped those questions. In fact, just thinking about it, I, I mean, there is definitely a a shift and, and an understanding of that shift happening. And I think, you know, a couple of days ago, uh, it was International Women's Day. Uh, and of course, on Twitter, there was a massive fallout because uh, a particular VC fund, I think it was Bain VC, uh, had uh, launched its crypto fund and, and launched it with a picture of, you know, 12, I think 12 males, uh, uh, you know, loud and proud. And, and, and it just got a lot of flack from all corners because it was so tone deaf to to where the narrative has been has been moving and the understanding that that people now have um so i think i think that's absolutely awesome so look i i called this pod nothing ventured for a reason it's all about taking that entrepreneurial path and taking a risk which you've clearly done more than once in in your life now um what do you think needs to change in the funding landscape to encourage more people and especially more women to take the, the plunge. And obviously I answered part of that question myself just in terms of funding, but it goes beyond that. So I'd love to uh, to get your, your view on that. I think, you know, so like uh, I'm a member of Alma Angels. I think, you know, Dipali and everyone have done a great job, you know, uh, putting that together. But yeah, you need more angel networks. I think, um, you know, encouraging people from school level to invest, you know, explain to them, you know, why money is important, you know, and how to invest appropriately and about risk and reward, you know, things like that. that. That should be on the curriculum, for God's sake, right? And then also, I think, you know, gaining that confidence, you know, of how to invest, you know, there's you know, it's sort of like, you know, like sometimes when I do angel checks, I mean, some of them can be quite small and some of them are a lot bigger. And, you know, it's sort of like people feel a bit embarrassed. So I've only put in a thousand pounds into something. It's like, well, actually, it's a thousand pounds of hard, hard earned money. You know, don't feel embarrassed. It's not about the quantum. It's about you taking the risk, but you assessing the risks appropriately and then actually deciding, yes, I want to invest in this founder. So, yeah, I mean, there's lots of things they can do. Education, confidence, um, speaking more openly about it. You know, I think this, um, just so it becomes part of our culture a little bit more, basically, you know. Um, and it, it doesn't need to be so elitist, maybe, as well. You know, investing doesn't, I think you can invest in lots of things, you know, with different quantums of checks you know it's not a it's not about oh I have to only put a million quid in and then I'm an ambassador not at all so I think that sort of lack it needs to be less elitist as well and I think that would be really encouraging to younger generations as well to to invest more as well and that can only be a good thing right because you're building the economy up as well and you're creating that virtuous cycle for everyone 
Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things again that that you mentioned there that not only ring true but quite close to close to my heart. So I, I teach my daughters. One is twenty, one is fourteen at the time of recording. Uh, I teach my daughters to invest uh, on crowdfunding platforms like Cedars and, and Crowdcube and others, uh, where we're only putting in you know fifty pounds or a hundred pounds. But you know I teach them how to look at the product, think about you know, is it, is it likely to have traction? Is it likely to have, you know, a market that is large and, and is, you know, is attainable? Um, you know, does it look like it's priced at the right level? And of course, they're not going to understand all of it, but it starts getting them thinking about and asking the right sort of questions. And the second thing that you said uh, that, that massively resonates is, you know, some of the, some of the most valuable angels that I know are the ones with the smallest checkbook, right? And and uh, I think it's become more and more, shall we say, acceptable. And and that's also the wrong word, but it has become more and more acceptable to be writing those one thousand pound checks um, because often the people writing those checks are founders themselves. Mm-hmm. or have a massive chip on their shoulder around the dent that they want to make in the world as well. And they don't have, yes, you know, tens or hundreds of thousands of capital to invest themselves. But by investing their thousand pounds, they're also adding value via their networks and via uh, their own experience and, and, and potentially advisory to, to the founder. So I think that is that is massively important. And um, to your point, it just opens up the landscape uh, to everyone, mm-hmm. right? Because all of a sudden, if more people are participating, if it's less opaque, if it's more uh, uh, open and it's more... Uh, understandable and understood by people why they can invest in in, in what they should be investing uh, that just opens up the landscape as you say uh, to to a much more entrepreneurial activity because there's more capital uh, that they can access but also the likelihood is that you'll see outsized outcomes here and there which will then you know again regenerate the 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 whole the whole ecosystem so i think that's a i think that's a massively important step as well um Priya, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been absolutely wonderful having you here on the podcast. Um, for our listeners, where can they best find you? Are you on LinkedIn? Are you on Twitter or uh, elsewhere online? Where's the Where's the best place to come looking for you? LinkedIn is probably the best for the moment. We do have a Twitter account, but I'm, I'm avoiding getting into the Twitter whole thing at the moment with everything else getting going on. Um, um, but yeah, you know, LinkedIn is probably the best way. Um, and, you know, let, love to hear from people who are innovating in our space as well. Amazing. Priya, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Arish. Thanks for listening to Nothing Ventured, an Emerge One production. Follow us on social and at nothingventured.tech to make sure you never miss another episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, you can support us by giving us five stars on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. We love to hear from our listeners to understand the topics and guests that they'd like to hear about and from most. Drop us a message via the links in the show notes, and thanks again for your support.